Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. Today, Amanda and I are about to nerd out harder than I think we've ever nerded out before. Are you ready for this, Amanda? I cannot wait for today's topic. So, friends... If you have been around Brave New Teaching for a minute, you know that we are pretty hardcore committed to inquiry being the driving force in the classroom. We've talked about what we mean by inquiry. I mean, we've talked about inquiry in a lot of nebulous ways before. Today, we are digging into the nitty gritty of why inquiry to drive curriculum, just making this ca- the case for that. And then like really what we mean by inquiry, what it is and what it isn't. And we're pretty excited. And for those of you who are currently taking our curriculum rehab course or you're enrolled and you're kind of doing it as you go, this episode is going to be really helpful to you to re kind of reaffirm your why, why you've accepted this challenge and you're taking this journey because this is not easy or I think a lot more people would be doing it. And for those of you who are still new to inquiry and you're like, I've been listening but I'm not ready to drink the Kool-Aid. I don't know how to get started. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I hear you all doing it. And it sounds great. We're going to try to, you know, peel back the veil a little bit more and make things a little bit more concrete for you. And dare I say, persuading you to join the team here. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to give a quick spoiler alert. So the very end, we are going to talk about how schools are being accused of indoctrinating children and how we as teachers are taking the brunt of a lot of that accusation in media, in random social media, parent forums, community areas, that sort of a thing. And really, how do you say 
no, I'm not without coming off defensively. Well, it's through using inquiry in your classroom and providing that sort of evidence. And we are really excited to show it to you today. And so it's time to cue the music. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, my friend, let's talk about inquiry. Let's just dig into it exactly all of the things. So I can tell you a little bit really quickly my journey into like starting with inquiry in my classroom. I have always liked the idea of asking questions and just finding out what students think. Asking quick rights was kind of and still is a lot of a um, like a beginning strategy if I'm beginning a class or if I'm beginning a big topic. I'll do quick writes and we'll start with like a one, two, three method. I'll have three questions. Each question will like get a minute and then two minutes and then three minutes for students to write their response to something. And the questions are generally like short answer or free response kinds of questions. Started that early, early, early in my career. I knew the term essential question and that's about as far as it went. I never quite connected my practice of quick rights with essential question and inquiry-based instruction and curriculum um, until honestly, like really getting to know you. That's when I realized, oh, I'm doing a lot of these things and what I'm not doing correctly. Now I understand what to do with inquiry to make it really potent and just amazing for my students. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. You have a much deeper I would just say field of work within inquiry. Um, So let's let you kind of lay some foundation for us. Well, and Marie and I are always very vulnerable and honest with you on this podcast, and I will continue to be so. This came from my experience of getting knocked on my evaluations in lines of questioning. And in there was a section on the Danielson rubric, I'm sure, which, you know, for the most part is, you know, it's whatever. Um, But my boss, like her, consistent feedback to me, regardless of the rubric. Wait, wait, what's that? What's the Danielson rubric? Oh, you guys don't use the Danielson rubric? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, which leads me to believe that at least our California listeners might not know what you're talking about. Oh my goodness. Okay. So it's the evaluation rubric that they use at least for sure in Illinois to evaluate teachers as distinguished, proficient, basic, or whatever the lower level is. Yeah, so like, okay. <laughs> yes, it's it's hotly contested. Charlotte Danielson, it's it's a it's a thing. It's what we okay. use. And there's a section in there about instruction, and that's kind of where I always struggled was the questioning aspect of my courses. I was really good at a lot of things, but like asking questions, getting kids to ask questions, follow-up questions, like that was relatively absent from my teaching, which I realized from feedback from the people who were observing me. So that's like my vulnerable moment is like, this was not something that came to me naturally and maybe why I'm good at it. Because a lot of times, right? Like if we have to learn something the hard way, we take our time learning it and make a lot of mistakes and then have to learn even more. So my journey through inquiry and and learning about this, I also have like a heavy amount of imposter syndrome when it comes to calling myself anything close to being an expert. So, you know, I just want to share our experience. And for me, the shift 
into inquiry in English. And this is a little bit different in content areas, but moving away from a novel-centered unit and into a unit focused on an essential question, a good essential question. So a quick like transformation would be, I used to have a to kill a mockingbird unit. Okay. Back in 2008 and it was in January and I was like, why do I hate myself? (laughs) And so instead of it being a to kill a mockingbird unit, what it has became over time and practice was a, to what extent I wanted what do we say? To what extent should empathy, something about empathy and social justice. I'm, I'm blanking on it right now, but the unit became centered around solving or coming up with a response to the question. And so it decentered the text, it decentered the teacher, it decentered a lot of things and centered the job of the students to answer the question with increasing sophistication over time. That's what we're talking about. Yes. And so, I mean, and I'm glad you said it decentered the text and it decentered the teacher. I always had a problem with being the sage on the stage. And a lot of this, I think, comes from the fact that I started teaching at like 22 years old and I was teaching seniors. And they were, I mean, they still are bigger than me, some of them, right? But like they were my age in a lot of ways for all intents and purposes. So saying that just because I went to college and they hadn't gotten there yet didn't mean I knew more than them. I always found that problematic. I mean, talk about imposter syndrome. I was like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I read that book, you know, five years ago and you guys are reading it now. So you're going to know it better than I do. And I was used to get really nervous when we would talk about like nitty gritty details to a book. Cause I felt like I was expected as the instructor to just know things and just remember all the colors of all the thread on all the dresses, right? And like all the symbols behind that. And like, it was very overwhelming. And I was, I'm not that girl. I'm just not that person. I don't remember details like that unless there's a reason for them. And it just all felt arbitrary. It all felt extremely rando and arbitrary. Come to find out it is. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, There we are. Like it totally is. There's a huge moment where my, not, I wouldn't say that my philosophy of teaching shifted to inquiry, but I accepted that like I was on to something for my own teaching practice. That when I was answering, asking those questions and asking students to answer questions like quick writes, like it would be a big broad and then get, you know, subsequently more specific with the questioning. And we would share out and do think, pair, share, like whatever kind of strategies I wanted to use. Those quick write questions were the beginning of good essential questions. Yes. They were not quite on the money because not all of them could be used for something that's like overarching. Some of them were a little too specific or a little too broad and like getting into the ideas of essential questions and crafting them the way that we've been talking about on this podcast that we teach through curriculum rehab. I I needed to kind of dive in a little bit more and do a little bit more just studying on my own terms But I was always good at asking kids questions. I was always good at listening to their answers, but I didn't see the connection back to like a whole overarching sort of like conversation that would take you through an entire unit the way that we're talking about today. And I think to your your point too, I think when we're talking about decentering the text and decentering the teacher, what the shift is for me too, is not only I was like you too, I I would panic, especially in the first couple of years of teaching, like, oh my gosh, they're going to ask me about this little plot detail and I'm going to get it wrong. And I'm double checking spark notes. 
right before. Or my whole credibility is going to be shot because I'm not going to remember which I Gatsby winked with. Like what? None of them actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of them. It was all of them. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that I could take a deep breath and really relax once I was able to understand that a novel was just as valuable as a short story, as a film, as a film clip, as a commercial, as a speech, and that we love literature so much as English teachers that sometimes we get so bogged down by prioritizing plot in our instruction. Like if you look at your five days of instruction or whatever you have in your your situation, how many days are you spending on plot of a single novel? Even if you're even independent reading, like how many days are you spending on story and how many days, minutes, hours, however you want to break it down, are you spending on all the other things? And so what it, what it became before for me was how do I fit in an article? How do I fit in this other right. thing? And when I shifted to inquiry-based instruction, I was like, it all matters. And it's okay that only one day we spend together covering the novel because these other days we're going to spend debating, discussing, reading this complimentary article, watching this film. You know, we're going to do all of this work. And all that matters to me at the end is that you can answer this question better than you could when we started. And you can do that with a lot of different paths. And so this, it makes all texts and materials a tool for learning versus the thing to be learned. This episode is brought to you by Curriculum Rehab by us, the team here at Brave New Teaching. It is the first and only teacher PD of its kind, a course to help teachers like you by guiding you through creating your own personal framework for curriculum. You make it work for you, your students, and your unique situation because nobody else knows what the kiddos in your classroom need the way that you do. Curriculum Rehab takes all of the resources available to you, all of the lessons, the assessments, the activities, all of the texts, everything that could possibly be there for you, and it helps you organize what you actually need in order to attain your teaching objectives. These are the strategies that Amanda and myself have used in our own classrooms, have developed over very long years of teaching and figuring things out combined together to create this framework and these strategies that we can guide you through. This course will give you the tools you need for a complete curriculum overhaul or to start from scratch. Wherever you are on that continuum, it does it all for you and with you on your timeline. So start today, do a little bit more in a couple of months, and then pick it up next summer. It's Teacher PD the way it should be on your own time. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash course for more information, or just head to the show notes for this episode. We cannot wait to see you there. It's finally time to take control of what goes on in your own classroom and create the curriculum of your dreams. All right, let's get back into the show. So let's talk a little bit then about what inquiry is and isn't specific to what we're talking about, because there are a lot of essential questions out there that are neither a question nor essential. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. So do you want to dive into that a little bit? Yeah, I do. So an, an essential question is a question that is one relatively universal, right? So something that could genuinely be 
a consideration that people actually think about, right? Like, like I see some people write questions like, to what extent does tension affect an author's choice in plot diagramming? You know, it's like very, very niche down. That's, it's a question, but I don't know that it's like an essential question. That's like a, let's look at this passage and answer the question based on this five lines of text. That's not a unit question. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's something that really kind of makes students sit back and think, huh? Or they make students jump up and give you their immediate answer because they think they know. And then as you layer in text throughout the unit, they think, oh, Um, I was actually thinking about a great example for science. You know, I think science courses oftentimes focus on like a concept, like big conceptual things. Um, So maybe something in terms of mitosis or, or cells and the unit is called our cell unit. When instead an essential question would elevate the conversation to something about to what extent is cell biology going to impact the future of climate change? So, oh my gosh, like, okay, so I have a personal stake in this because climate change is happening to me. And well, you know, it's Mm -hmm. happening. It's all of the, you know, there's something about the world around students. There's something engaging about the fact that it's going to impact them personally somehow. That's really what an essential question is trying to do. And our episodes that we can link in the show notes for you all really kind of get into the nitty gritty. I have a masterclass on writing essential questions, but truthfully, there is no perfect recipe and you can get really bogged down by trying to be perfectionist about them when really what matters is framing your unit under a question. And the goal is for students to answer at the beginning, consider it along the way and answer it again at the end. And you can see how they've grown. I like to have a couple of check marks when I'm writing an essential question. And it's that it there's content built in, built into it. So like the cell one you're asking in, in order to answer that question, students have to understand a lot about like there's content there. Right. And there's also context. There's a bigger picture. So if you've got content and context built into the conversation that you're, that's a lot of cons that you are uh, framing, then you've got a starting point. And yeah, we've got a couple of different essential question workshops that the two of us have done for my classes. We've got a lot on this. Like we said, if you're in curriculum rehab, this might be recentering some of that module for you where you're talking about the questions that you're writing and how to frame them and how to make them work for you. Another beautiful, so, so what I'm saying is we have a lot that we can link to and we will down in the show notes. Um, we just want to get into really like making the case for inquiry. It it creates a lot of flexibility. Like it's, it's more than just questioning strategies. Like it's a whole view of how to approach curriculum and how to approach teaching and education. And it also creates a lot of like wide open space for me as a teacher to breathe and know where I'm going and not have to feel bogged down by my own calendar. We talked about it last week or two weeks ago, whatever episode we did lit circles. Um, it's the, if you picture, like if you give, give essential questions, a metaphor in your head, it's pulling the thread through the needle, right? Like if you have an essential question as your frame and you take that deep breath, that allows you to choose the texts for a choice novel unit that Mm -hmm. allows you to choose the supplementary texts that are going to be paired with a novel that are going to be paired here. I had the experience multiple times where I came into a situation where the curriculum was scripted for me 
or pre-organized. And it never felt right to me until I wrote my own essential questions to kind of put on top. So it was a little clunky because it wasn't naturally created that way. But when I was able to attach essential questions and conceptual understandings to the units that were given to me, I then felt that flexibility of living in my unit more authentically. I've also been in the situation where we did transition to essential questions, but some teachers weren't comfortable shifting central texts. So our unit that I've done on a thousand splendid sons, the question is why do relationships matter? Guess what? There's like a thousand novels you could use for that unit. And that's amazing because then the teachers in our department that weren't ready to do sons, they did Catcher in the Rye. They stuck to Catcher in the Rye. And so we were all teaching the same unit, but with different texts. And that flexibility is beautiful and very hard to do with other setups. Right. Yeah. Once again, we're going to keep coming back to it decentralizes text and decentralizes teacher. And honestly, I think decentralizing teacher is even more important than decentralizing text because the role of the teacher is always kind of in flux, but especially I'd say in the past 10, 15 years, we have gone from, I already said it before, a stage on the stage, the keeper of the keys, the guess what I'm thinking to a coaching, a parallel, I'm there with you, we're doing the work together and I'm coaching you through it type of a model. At least that's that's where I've seen it going in a lot of places. And it's it's a much more, for me, invigorating way to be an instructor. It's also more rewarding. Like the relationships to build are less like, I, like I'm not the gatekeeper of their learning anymore. They are the gatekeepers, students of their own learning. And I get to be there to help them, like provide them with the tools and train them along the way. It's just a better, it's less exhausting. Like it's all the things. <laughs> and I think what's important to Maurice's point, cause I get a lot of questions about this too, is it's also not a free for all. Right. Right. So it it, it feels when you hear this concept of decentering the teacher, you think, okay, well then what are you doing? Right. As a chaos. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And and the, really the magic of of inquiry-based learning is that there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, a lot of things. To your point, it's like when I hear, you know, let students, when I used to hear, and even sometimes when I see outside of my own like ELA context, which I completely understand. And I like get that backwards and forwards. But I see like explorative learning, let students be the guide. My knee jerk is to be like, um, and, and then just let there be chaos and let me run around trying to control everything. No, 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 no. It means I am the ultimate guide. I am the bumpers on the sides of the, I don't know. What am I trying to say? The bowling alley? The bowling alley. Yeah, I was going for bowling alley. Thank you for going with me on that journey. I create and I guide them through all of that, but students are the ones on the gas pedal. My metaphor. Or the bowling balls? My my metaphor got lost in there. But like, (laughs) once again, to talk about choice novels, I don't have to have read any of the books that they're reading. If I know that like somehow it fits genre wise or whatever it is, it allows that flexibility to just ask a question and keep asking that question and forms of that question and subsects of that question. And students are then really focused on answering the question and building their own skills to be able to, like you said, answer it better and better and better as each layer of education is thrown on top. It's like the best. It's amazing. And I think the final thing that we would want to share with you to make the case for inquiry, and we could talk about this and we will talk about this endlessly throughout this podcast is that, can you guys hear the thunder? 
Oh, it just I hear here. people on my roof because I'm oh. at in my classroom and we've mm-hmm. had endless construction. So it could be your thunder, but it did just get very dark where you are. Yes. Uh, no, I just I have people on the roof shaking the roof tiles. It's cool. That's fine. Right. Thank you, listeners, for hanging with us. We're getting a we're getting a early September thunderstorm here. It's kind of exciting. I love love this weather. But back to uh, inquiry. Um, I got it. Marie kind of teased you guys at the beginning of the episode, and I think this is really important and not something that we are necessarily experts on, but feel very very responsible to share with you. Right? Is this idea that teachers are being accused left and right of indoctrinating or gatekeeping or whatever you might be and, and by wherever you might live pushing agendas. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever the verbiage is, it's an attack. It's an attack on us as professionals and it's hard to live with. (laughs) And and to, to a certain extent, we are making decisions, right? We are choosing texts. We are prioritizing certain things over other things. Like that's the nature of education. We have degrees, many of them that have equipped us to do so. So we are within, well, within our bounds to make these decisions for the betterment of the future. But I think when we talk about approach, if your approach is through inquiry and you have that flexibility for when a parent ultimately will challenge a text, which this is going to be an episode coming up soon. We're going to talk about what to do when parents and kids challenge. You've been gathering some good strategies. (laughs) When these things happen and, and when it feels like that pressure is too much to bear, stepping back and saying, you know what, this unit is focused on this question. Is this as important as this? Or to what extent is this true? Or to what it is ultimately up to the student to not only answer in their own way, but to learn how to answer in their own way with evidence and poise and that the better they get at that, that's my goal. It's not about driving home a content piece of material. I really don't care at the end of the year how many novels you've perfectly read and how much you've comprehended. If you memorized all the thread colors to the dress that Marie was talking about, right? Like that if you've completed X number of whatever's, that's not important. What's important is the growth in being able to answer hard questions and becoming informed, engaged citizens. A critical thinker. I, it's it's all about critical thinking, engaging in being able to like think about complex topics, like you're saying, and then to be able to articulate your own stance on something, to be able to articulate it and then to communicate that. That is the skill. Those are the skills of reading, writing, listening, and speaking in the 21st century. Like that's it. hundred percent. Yeah. And so if you're sitting here right now, it's the beginning of the school year and you're in the middle, I, I can't tell you how many teachers I've seen on Facebook talk about this. If you're in the middle of your first unit, which is your short story unit, mm-hmm. okay, you know who I'm talking, I'm talking to you and I love you because this is a process. This is a unit by unit growth process. If you're a short story unit, didn't go well, or maybe kids didn't seem terribly engaged. And you're thinking like, maybe I need to pick new stories, or maybe I need to do a jigsaw next time. Wonder if maybe it's because they don't see the point in reading short stories as presented that maybe asking them a question that's more connected to something big picture might create a higher level of engagement. And the stories are the vehicle to get there. Think about that. 
for maybe next year or maybe another unit in the in the winter. Maybe that'll be easier. But definitely, definitely consider if your novel-centered units are not going well, how could they change? How can they how can they still require content, but also put things into context? If your essential question can help you tell students, parents, and other stakeholders the answer to the question. Why are we learning this? Why is this important? Why does this matter? Schools don't teach me how to do taxes. You know, all that stuff that we like to hear. Essential questions, inquiry-based learning that puts students in charge answers those questions. It it answers the questions. Like a few weeks ago when we did the essential question uh, workshop for my 12th grade course, will the fate of humanity be determined by the villains or the heroes? I still love that question so much. You bet your buttons. Every kid in this classroom is all in. Today, we started our choice, not like literally 20 minutes ago. We started our choice novel unit on what is a villain. That's our sub question within there. And they are in. (laughs) Um, It is now hailing. So, I mean, like golf ball size hail is hitting the window. So. This is probably a good time to uh, wrap things up and tell you all that we're here to support you no matter what it is that you are embarking in, brother. If you're ready to jump into curriculum rehab, we want to have you. If you want to just chat with us in a DM, chat with us in a DM. We want to support you on this journey no matter what it looks like. And if you're listening to this in real time, if you want to hang out with us at the end of this month, we have our dystopian fall festival teaching dystopia. It And we're going to talk a lot about inquiry through that festival because we are living in a dystopia and being able to bring that genre to students and present them with questions and give them the fuel to answer those questions through texts and through different materials that you talk about in class is a wonderful way to see inquiry at play and to to like see it in its own little box and see how it really, really works. If this is something that's new to you, I highly encourage that you join us for the festival, head to the show notes, or just go to curriculumrehab.com slash dystopia, and you can register for free. We are very excited. I can't wait to see you guys there. It's going to be so awesome. Absolutely. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. We hope that we have started to demystify a bit of inquiry, maybe even fire you up a little bit to adding this either more into your class, refining what you already do, or just getting started. Like Amanda said, join us. We have many resources for you. And this is far from the end of the road when it comes to talking about inquiry. And uh, until we meet again, we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.